Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. So, you'd like to believe in God, but you wonder... Christians are always so polite when they share the gospel, sometimes even in the case of being treated rudely by those whom they are reaching out to. Is there ever an occasion for Christians to respond more forcefully, or should they always be polite? Should they always carry it off with a smile? Well, my friend, politeness is the general rule. Let's start there. Politeness is the general rule. Now, often in life, we discover rules and exceptions to rules. We must allow for exceptions, and God himself allows for exceptions. There are many examples of this in the Bible. But yes, let's start with the rule, because as a general rule, we do not want to be offensive while sharing the gospel. And frankly, the gospel itself is already offensive enough. Yes, it talks about God's love and forgiveness. Yes, it talks about the mercy Christ offered us on the cross, how God will take us unconditionally regardless of what sin we've committed, regardless of any sin. But the gospel gospel is also calling people to change, calling people to turn from their sin, calling people to repentance. The gospel is describing the consequences of not accepting Christ. The afterlife, where a person might actually end up separated from God for all of eternity, a place called hell. Those are not easy words to hear, and saying them with a smile is not going to make them that much easier. Calls to change are offensive. There's no getting around that. So, with this in mind, obviously, let's not make things even more offensive than they need to be, even more offensive than they already are. Let's not make things worse with our style or demeanor. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we read, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. For many years, I was the national evangelist for an organization called Missions Door, working particularly with their campus ministry department. I traveled all over the country by invitation, coast to coast. In addition to lectures and one-man drama presentations, I also did formal debates and informal outdoor open-air evangelism in campus free speech areas where students would come by and fire off skeptical questions, sometimes in front of a large crowd. Many campus Christian clubs invited me back year after year because I became known as a person who spoke very respectfully to people. However, there were certainly times when in the face of serious confrontation, I also took a stand and did not always react like a smiley Christian. This is because there is also such a thing as tough love. Yes, we are to be loving, but there is such a thing as tough love. And it is not always one size fits all with God. Different conversations warrant different responses. We see that example in Christ himself. He was gentle with some, far more forceful with others. We tend to emphasize the gentle times and not talk about the others, but they're all there right in the Bible. And we'll look at some example of Christ's own conversations in a few minutes, but for now, yes, as a general rule, we should be gentle and 
and polite and humble. If these students around the country didn't observe me coming across exactly that way most of the time, they would never have invited me back year after year. But also, since they did see me coming across as gentle most of the time, they also understood when there were occasional exceptions. Well, as you know, this general rule of politeness is emphasized a lot amongst Christians, talked about a lot amongst Christians. So today I'm going to spend most of our time discussing the other side of the coin because this is not talked about as much. I'm going to discuss the exception to the rule. Why have a radio show if I'm not going to get you all riled up with exceptions, right? Now, I did not reach these balanced conclusions overnight. It's been a pilgrimage for me. One of them goes all the way back to when I was attending San Jose City College. I had only been a Christian a couple of months myself, and we had some evangelists come out. Now, they were not much older than me, and I'm not justifying at all what they said. In fact, I hated the way they were doing this, but they were sharing the correct gospel, and yet when students confronted them, boy, they really gave it back, and probably far more than they needed to. I remember one particular student student going, oh, I guess we're all stupid for not becoming Christians. And you'd think he'd say, oh, well, brother, Jesus loves you. He didn't. He just looked at him and goes, you are stupid. You're an idiot if you don't accept this. Okay. Well, I was just floored watching this kind of approach. And I noticed that the guy's wife was sitting in the audience. I saw her introduce herself to somebody else. So I came up and introduced myself to her and asked if she might get her husband to speak with me afterwards. He came up to me. He was friendly at first, shook my hand. I said, hi, my name name's Bob. I'm also a Christian. I would just like to talk to you about your approach today. He immediately put his hand up, stopped me in mid-sentence. He says, look, 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 I know where you're going with this. Spare me, will you? Will you spare me? The minute we come out and talk to people the way Jesus talked, everybody jumps on us. Isn't that interesting? He was claiming that he talked the way Jesus talked. Well, again, I'm not trying to justify what he said particularly, and I do think he was going overboard, but he was making the point that there were times where not only Jesus, but some of the prophets actually insulted people. And this got me thinking. Now, as the years went by, I met a lot of other people like him. When you're doing campus ministry, you hate it when these guys come out to your campus because you feel they set you back about five years. There's one guy that was very well known, coast to coast. I'll mercifully leave off his name, but he was calling people whoremongers and perverts. And I I would still go out and listen to him because you could turn to somebody in the audience and you'd say, well, what do you think of this guy? I can't stand him. Okay, well, what do you think of Jesus himself? And I could still have good conversations. In fact, I led some people to Christ during that time. God can use anything, but of course, just because he's using it, that doesn't mean he's condoning it. And yet, once again, these people were claiming that their style was biblical. Well, I I did confront this guy. This was many years later. This was out at UCSD. And this was also a guy who was making things worse by claiming he'd reached a point where he did not sin. So I stood up and I just said, "Are, are you making the claim that you do not sin? He said, he who abideth in Christ sin. If not, okay, I'll do a whole radio show. There are a lot of churches that believe we can reach sinless perfection in this life. That is not true, but I don't want to get us on a tangent. I'm just explaining why I confronted him. Because I used this as a point of transition. I said, well, you've been sinning in front of all of us for the last couple of hours by the rude way you're talking to people. He turned to me and he said, you are a W-H-I-M-P. 
That spells wimp. Well, of course, I was kind of funny listening to him say that. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know that I, too, traveled around talking to crowds, challenging them. I didn't think it needed to be done with such rudeness. However, I finally started doing some study because there was something about what that very first guy said to me years ago at San Jose City College, the minute we talk like Jesus, because I noticed in Scripture that sometimes, indeed, God's people spoke very forcefully. Let me give you some examples. John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3. But when he saw a man named of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Can you just imagine somebody today in the name of Christianity calling people a brood of vipers? The Christians would have quite a problem with it. Moving on to Jesus himself. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 23. You should read the whole chapter, get this in context, but I'm going to read to you some highlights. Woe to you, teachers of the law and And Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog and pursue from town to town, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, not only is Jesus giving them a ferocious message, he's telling them at the end that he's going to send other people with similar messages. I guarantee you, if Jesus came back to earth as he did the first time, without announcing who he was, without announcing that it's an incarnation of God, I guarantee you that if some Christian saw him talking that way to people, a Christian would walk up to Jesus and rebuke Christ for not acting Christ-like. How about one of Jesus' disciples, Simon Peter, Acts chapter 8, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the... Now this, I know we call him Simon Peter. This is another Simon, so this is going to be Simon talking to Simon. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Now, I do want to point out that as a result of Peter talking, talking to him this way, the man did repent. He did back down. That is something to note. How about Stephen, the first Christian martyr? He won his debate. You see, in those days, you didn't fill out cards. You didn't fill out response comment cards to determine from the audience who they thought won. If the guy did an effective job, they stoned him to death. That's how we know Stephen won the debate. He was stoned to death. Acts 7, 51 through 53, talking to the Jewish leaders. You stiff-necked people, by the way, and I said this on a pre 
previous show, I am Jewish myself, so there's no anti-Semitism here, but the first threatening reaction to the church came from the Jews, and most of the people in the church were Jewish. This was a, a split in Israel. Jewish leaders not wanting to see their fellow Jews following Jesus and calling him the Messiah. Anyway, he's talking to the Jewish leaders. Stephen, a Jewish Christian, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. All right, was Stephen being unloving? I mentioned a moment ago there's such a thing as tough love. Was he being unloving? Hardly. Look at his dying words later on in the passage, starting with verse 59. Wow, they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And that was the term for a Christian dying in those days, falling asleep because they are going to awaken at the resurrection. And so, were these people from years ago, these evangelists that went onto the college campus and yelled and screamed and insulted the students, were they correct when they pointed to examples of Jesus and John the Baptist and Peter and Stephen? They were and they weren't. Yes, at times Jesus and the apostles and prophets spoke forcefully, but you need to keep the audience in mind. You need to keep the context in mind, the occasion. In my opinion, Jesus would not have gone out to a college campus where people are unfamiliar with the gospel and talked to them that way. But every one of these examples of the name-calling and the forcefulness is a Christian speaking to religious leaders, religious rulers, hypocrites, people who claim to be following God but not. And that is the first principle. When talking with religious hypocrites, it's a little different than talking to somebody else who might be very aware of their sin. You see, religious hypocrites don't think they're sinful. They'll admit that there's such a thing as sin, but they'll claim that at the moment they're living real pious lives. Compare the way Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 23 with the way he spoke to the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. She knew she'd committed adultery. She knew she was a sinner. She wasn't puffed up with pride. If she had a brick wall of pride, Christ would have torn the brick wall down first in order to help her repent, to give her tough love. She didn't need tough love. She needed gentle love. After chasing the crowd away, Jesus said to her, where are your accusers? She said, they're not here, Lord. He said that neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Now notice he still called her to stop sinning. He was not compromising his message. There are a lot of Christians today who think that the only way we can be loving is to also be affirming. We do not affirm sin, but you can call people to repentance in a loving way, and Jesus was definitely being gentle with this woman. You see my point. This goes back to my principle that it's not one size fits all with God. Just look at the difference between the way Jesus talked to this woman and the way he talked to the Pharisees. It is a difference between night and day. So that's the first principle. Jesus was forceful when talking with religious hypocrites. If 
perhaps we are talking with religious hypocrites or maybe political hypocrites, other types of leaders. There's a place for this. And that leads to the second point. It's very similar when somebody is so arrogant or blind that they are justifying their sin. And related to that, when somebody's sin is leading others astray, notice again, back in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is saying, woe to you blind guides. And in Matthew 15, he says, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So notice he's he's giving you kind of a calm, non-threatening way. At first, this is where he's starting, just the two of you. But then he goes on, because that doesn't always work. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So again, that principle is if they're leading others astray, they must be confronted, they must be dealt with. And then finally, if a tougher tone helps. I mentioned that I used to work with Mission to the Americas. Today it's called Missions Dora. They've changed their names over the years in their campus ministry as a national evangelist. But prior to becoming their national evangelist, I did a lot of local campus ministry. I did two years at Arizona State University, followed by five years at the University of California, Santa Barbara, followed by a number of years starting an all-campus church at the University of California, San Diego. And when I was out at Arizona State, of course, we weren't the only group out there. There was Campus Crusade, Navigators, InterVarsity. There was also a group called Beth Sar Shalom. They were a ministry that reached out to Jewish people. And sometimes in my spare time, I'd sit at their table. Now, my fellow Jews don't like it when some of us become Christians. They can be very, very hostile. My own family was so hostile, I was disowned and kicked out of the house. So I'm familiar with this. And we had some literature out there, provocative literature. Was Jesus the Messiah? We had one guy come by and I said, hello. I started out friendly. Uh, He wouldn't even answer me. He just starts rummaging through the literature. And then he looked up at me just glaring. He was Jewish and he looked at me and he says, you call yourself a Jew. In other words, what a traitor I am to my own people. I said, yes, I call myself a Jew. Then he turned around and started walking away. So I shouted after him. Now, there was another Christian with me. He wasn't Jewish, but he was sitting at the table with me. I didn't know him very well, but I shouted after him. I said, well, are you going to just walk away or do you want to talk about it? He still didn't turn around. He still walked off. I finally shouted after him. I said, you don't have any guts. You know what a Jew isn't, but you don't know what a Jew is. He stopped. He froze in his tracks. You could see his shoulders stiffen. He still didn't turn around. He walked off. Now, the Christian who was next to me at the table. Oh boy, did he take offense. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. We should not be talking to people like that. Where's the love of Christ? I said, hey, I know what I'm doing. And I did know what I was doing. You see, I understood that when talking to a Jewish person, it's a little bit different. There's a lot of hostility. I gave this guy something to think about. Now, I don't know whatever became of it, but I'll bet that guy never forgot that conversation the rest of his life. I know what a Jew isn't. Do I know what a Jew is? Because this was a question I was faced with as a Jew. I, too, as a Jew, had been hostile toward Christianity. I could have said, well, God loves you, brother. God bless. That would have made no difference in his case. You see, there is a place for this. One time I was at a UCSD, some student came by and he just kicked our sign. We had a sign up there challenging atheists. He just kicked it. He says, I protest. I just said, you don't have to kick the sign. 
And he immediately just backed down and says, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And we had a decent conversation. There was another guy talking to me one time, and I was talking with him in a very friendly way, but he still didn't like what I said. As I mentioned, the gospel is offensive. He finally says, you're making me want to come over there and hit you. Now, again, I'm sure he thought that as a Christian, I was going to just smile. I did not react that way. I said, look, you're welcome to argue all you want, but you won't hit me more than once. Then he goes, oh, well, well, I wouldn't hit anybody because I don't believe in violence. You see, sometimes taking a stand makes a difference. I've had people come out and shout at me. And when I've stood up, they've later come up and said, hey, man, I was wrong about you. And they've thrown their arms around me. Okay, the point of these examples, the point of the Bible study, the verses we looked at once again to show the other side of the coin, it is not one size fits all with God. Different contexts and different discussions warrant different responses. In closing, let me use my own radio show as an example. If you've been following my radio show for any length of time, you've certainly seen me use both approaches. I try to bring in a wide variety of styles, sometimes very serious and intense, other times broken up with humor or satire or parody. When answering people's questions over the air, even in the context of debate with a skeptic, I am very polite and I treat people quite respectfully. We'll disagree. We'll argue. But there is such a thing as a friendly argument. An argument is not a four-letter word. It can be done respectfully. This, at least, has always been my intention. Now, we don't always succeed in life. I'm sure at times I was more successful than others in the way it came across or the way it was perceived. But I do try. I try very hard. And I'm happy to say that based on the many comments I've received over the years from listeners, I have been mostly successful. People have expressed how much they like the respectful way in which I talk to people with whom I disagree. But that's while I'm engaged in a one-on-one conversation. You'll notice that other times, especially when going through the news and giving my monologues and calling out politicians, oh, I come at them with both barrels. Because this gets back to hypocrisy. This gets back to the reason Jesus came at people with both barrels. This gets back to people in leadership, many of whom these days are trying to actually control our lives and eliminate our freedoms. And part of the gospel is also speaking out against evil. We're not just here to tell people they can be forgiven for the sin they've committed. We're here to help deliver people from sin committed against them. That's another side of the gospel that we don't hear about often enough. I have done some whole radio shows on that. I'll do them again because we need that review. But we need to take a stand so that others may be warned, so that others might be careful. I like the way Candace Owens puts it. She says, I'm an alarm clock. People hate alarm clocks. They hit the snooze button the first time their alarm clock goes off. But alarm clocks are programmed to continue going off because we need alarm clocks. And without alarm clocks, we will never wake up. And folks, boy, do we need to wake up these days. So I, too, have definitely been an alarm clock on this radio show. If there are ways to use humor, even while calling out a politician, I will, because sometimes you can make your blunt point in different ways, but the bluntness is needed. And frankly, there are other times when you will hear a sense of outrage from me, and that is deliberate, no apology. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Still, even with politicians, I do have places where I draw the line. I never make fun of appearance. I never make fun of the way a person looks, their weight, their face, anything like that. Those are cheap shots. But I will certainly criticize what they say. I may even impersonate the way their voice is great on me while they say it. Because when a person's saying something I can't stand, the way they say it is just 
particularly unnerving. And showing the absurdity of evil is one of the ways to resist evil. And if we don't resist evil, our First Amendment rights won't be worth the paper they are printed on. Anyway, once again, different occasions warrant different responses. But as a general rule, our show is known as a sanctuary for skeptics and doubters where people can come on the air with me and be treated with respect despite our differences. This is Bob Siegel making the obvious obvious. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob. Bob.